0: Hello, good evening. Welcome to New Hope Church, our midweek service. My name is Jonathan, and now is the time of service we get to continue to worship God in the forms of tithes and offerings. So if the ushers would kindly prepare. Um, I want to kind of get very real and honest with you guys tonight. Um, Sometimes God would ask me to to do something that just makes no sense to me. It makes no sense to me. Um, Less than a year ago, I was in a situation where um, I had barely enough to get by, yet I hear God telling me, I want you to give. I want you to give. And I was like, oh, man, it, it made no sense to me whatsoever. I was 47 years old. Um, I was unemployed. I had to go and move back in with my parents. So it doesn't make sense, Lord. It doesn't make sense. Um, there is a story in the Bible, in John chapter 2, where Jesus made this kind of nonsensical request to a bunch of servants at a wedding in Cana. So this is where Jesus turns water into wine. It's his very first miracle. And, and the uh, mother, of Je- mother of Jesus, Mary, turns to these servants and says, you know, just do what he tells you to do. Just do what he tells you to do. So Jesus tells these servants, go get these six big jars and fill it with water. Now, I want you guys to put yourselves into the shoes of these servants, okay? Here, number one, they probably didn't even know who Jesus was at that point because he had done no miracles yet. It was his first miracle. Number two, they ran out of wine, not water. Why should we go fetch so much water? And number three, back then... When to, to get so, so much water, it was no easy task. It was very difficult. But no more spigot, no more hose pipe, no more, nothing like that. So they must have been thinking, man, this just makes no sense. Nevertheless, they obeyed and they did it. And what happened? Jesus did a miracle. He turned the water into wine. Two th- uh, back to me uh, six months ago. Six months ago, it didn't make sense. The request to give. And and to give tithes and offerings, I couldn't understand it. But yet, I heard the voice of Mary saying, just do what he tells you to do. Just do what he tells you to do. So I did, and I can stand before you tonight and say, say with all boldness, boasting not in me, but everything what God has done. He has supplied all of my needs according to his riches and glory and my children's needs too. So, my name is Jonathan. I am 48 years young. God will provide for me the perfect job very soon. And the food at my parents' house is fantastic. (laughs) Let's pray. Father God, we just praise you. We worship you. We love you. In Jesus' name, Lord. When your voice tells us to do something, and our logical human mind just—it just doesn't make sense to us. Lord, give us the strength to obey and see the miracle that is ripe for the picking. Lord God, Father God, right now we ask that you would bless the offering, use it to further your kingdom. Lord, open up our hearts right now as we receive your word. Let it may your spirit bear witness. Our spirits this morning, this evening, Lord God, help us to receive everything that you're going to pour in. Thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Asher, so you can go ahead. Amen. Thank
1: you, Jonathan. You young man, For, 40, Wait, you made forty-eight, or you are going to be 40, forty-nine? Oh no, oh, sorry, sorry, my bad. Uh, Japanese, so hard to tell. You always look young. You look like that since you was twenty. Jonathan has been serving at this church for a long time, and the the thing that I appreciate about him is just the heart that he has to serve. Now, along with all of you who continue to serve uh, in, in this church day in and day out, the amazing thing is that when we keep our eyes on Jesus in what we choose to do and when we serve, then he uses our gifts, our talents, and whatever we give to him, our energies, our time to expand his kingdom, and that's why we're here tonight. We're here because someone reached out to us, someone uh, loved us, or maybe someone invited us, but really it came down to what God is doing in all of us. And I I pray that tonight we would have that kind of eyes because it it can almost turn into I just attend church. But really what's happening is that God is drawing us to himself, that we have a God who is alive and well, a God who exists, and a God who wants us to be closer to him. That's the relationship that we talk about. And we have a relationship with God more than a religious thing that we do. And so tonight, as we continue in our series, we're going to be talking about how our thoughts shape us. Have you ever had thoughts of, like, putting scenarios together? That, you know, you're thinking of, okay, if this happens and that happens, then what if this happens? Or, I wonder if he's doing this. I wonder if she's doing this. I wonder if they're thinking this. I wonder if they're doing that. And so our thinking starts to shape how we feel. And then after a while, when that person comes home, we're, we're mad at them because we were imagining in our minds where they were, what they were doing, who they were talking to. And poor person because they, they come home to a person who has been stewing in their mind what they thought was taking place. That's what this series is all about. It's how do we, how do we use our thoughts to shape our life because God is going to do something with our thoughts. It's amazing how quickly we can think. Now, some of us, a little bit slow, but that's okay. It's, it's still okay. We're still thinking. God will use our minds in, in a creative way. And as we look at this scripture, Philippians 4.8, in fact, if you have the app, you can take that out and, and follow along. But Philippians 4.8 is what we've been looking at throughout the weeks. And this is Paul the Apostle, who was a, a man who, who followed the laws of God so well that when he heard about this man, Jesus... And his followers, he thought that that was something wrong because how could the Messiah die and then rise from the grave and then now you have all these followers doing what seems inconsistent with the laws of God? Paul was called a Pharisee. That's what Jesus called them. Now Paul wasn't there when Jesus died on the cross, but when Jesus died and rose again some years later he shows up to Paul, who at that time was named Saul. And when Saul came into that conversion and that connection with Jesus, everything about his life changed. So no longer was he all about the laws of God, he now came to the grace of God, where he was beginning to learn that this, this Jesus, who came to this earth as the Son of God, came to die for all of our sins so that we could have eternal life with God the Father in heaven. And so Paul now is... He's converted. He has changed. He is now on a mission to reach out to people who don't know Jesus Christ. Well, because of that, he gets thrown in prison. But even prison didn't stop him from proclaiming the gospel. That's why we have most of the New Testament. It's Paul the Apostle writing these letters to the different churches and different people to let them know about Jesus Christ. And here we are 2,000 years later, still reading the letters of Paul the Apostle. He writes to the church in Philippi. And the book is called Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. He writes this, finally, brethren. And the reason why he says that is because chapters 1, 2, and 3, he's bringing what, was, what is taking place and, and how he thinks and, and how we ought to live and how Christ changed his life and how they should live as people who follow Jesus. So now he's saying, finally, brethren, after all that I have said, here's what it comes down to. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. He's saying, you know where it's going to start? It's going to start up here in the brain. It's going to start in our mind. If we wait for our actions to change, that's too late. The actions are going to follow whatever's in the mind that gets deposited in the heart that comes out through our actions. And so Paul says, you know what? We're not even going to talk about our actions right now. Let's just talk about the way we think. And so we're going through all of these different character qualities. And tonight we're going to be talking about thinking about what is excellent. Thinking about what is excellent. You know, when you see a company that, that promotes their products or they, they do some kind of branding, they all want to do it with excellence. They want to do it precisely. They want to do it clean and and, uh, communicate well, communicate their product well. So they do things with excellence. But if we think Paul is saying do things with excellence with just thinking of doing things well, then we miss everything that he's trying to say because we all want things done well. We all want things done to a certain, you know, preciseness, especially if you grow up in like a Portuguese house. Like, everything has to be to the T. Like, I didn't grow up in a Portuguese house. I grew up in a Filipino house. So it was kind of not very organized. Now, you may be Filipino, and you're very organized. Not in my house. It was a single mom and us four children. So we just continued. We played all day. When I met Heidi, in her household, everything was done precisely, especially when it came to dishes. We had to scrub the sink Before we washed dishes, and we cleaned up the table right after we ate. We cleaned up the table, put the dishes in the sink, soaked them a little bit, scrubbed everything down, and then washed the dishes, and dried the dishes, and then put away the dishes, and then scrubbed the sink again. Every single night. There was no such thing as dishes being piled up. So this was a new thing for me. I was learning how to do things well. But if that's as far as we go when it comes to excellence, then we miss everything else that God is trying to teach us. Because if we just try to do everything well, which is, that's not a problem, that's that's a great thing. But if we just stop there, then all we're going to do is live our life based on performance. And when Paul comes in and he says, think about what is excellent. What he's not saying is, just do things well. Just perform. Just do things so that on the outside, everything looks good, but on the inside, if you're dying, it's okay. So long as you're doing things with excellence. So long as things on the outside look good. He's saying, no, no, there's so much more to excellence than the outside, the outward, the outer appearance. In fact, that's what he said to the the Pharisees. He says, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You look really good on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones. Paul the Apostle, even though he wasn't around at that time, he was a Pharisee. And now he's learning this conversion of the inside out, cleaning the inside, and then when you do that, then the outside becomes clean. So excellence has, has more to do with how we, how we think about things and how we are able to connect with Christ to a, a better moral standard of living. Not how we think, not how we feel, Not just our actions, but moral goodness. And about doing what we can do with the spirit that God gave to us according to his ways, not our ways. And when we're able to think about what is excellent, we're able to think about high moral standards rather than just doing things well. And when Paul uses this word if, he says, if there is any excellence, which means excellence is hard to find. It's very hard to find. It's very hard to come by. And this word excellence means a virtuous course of thought or having or showing high moral standards. And it's not just the way we do things. It's the reason behind the way we do things. It's the heart. It's the feeling. It's the action. It's virtue, moral goodness, any particular moral excellence as modesty, purity, an excellent or valuable quality. And the word virtue means conformity to a standard of right. In other words, something needs to be right in order for us to conform to it. Otherwise, what would we conform to? If we just think, well, I'm going I'm to live to a higher moral standard. Okay, who makes that standard? Oh, well, I, I think this should be it. I think if we live this way, then this would be a great way of living. And then people would follow that. But then someone would disagree. they say, well, that kinda, I don't agree with that. So I think this is the best way to live. This is what is Right? In fact, that's what we see in our nation today. Everyone has a certain standard of living, and so everyone has their own right. So we try our very best to just live by what we think is right and what we feel is right. But really what Paul is talking about is living out what is right and possessing that quality. It's, It's not just doing what is right, it's being what is right. Otherwise you have the action, but no heart and no belief in it. As it says, as we hear often, I, I've heard this before, that even the mafia goes to church. Yeah, you can do the right things, but if there's no heart in it and no belief in it, what good is it? See, the only way to determine whether something is right or wrong is to match it up with something that is truly right. But how do you, how do you match up what is truly right? Because something needs to be our moral compass. In the book of Amos, it gives us an idea of what this looks like. Amos, one of the minor prophets, he says in Amos chapter 7, verse 7 through 9, that this is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb. So if you're a carpenter, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if not, I'll illustrate it. With a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. So Jeroboam was one of the kings who did things that were evil in the sight of God. Zerubbabel was a governor who came in. And he was the first to come back to Jerusalem after the exile to Babylon when they were captured. So they're they're rebuilding the temple. Well, there needs to be a plumb line, which is something that is accurate and straight. And what God is saying is, Jeroboam wasn't doing things that were pleasing to me. So according to my standard, he's now disqualified. And anyone else who comes against my standard, they they disqualify themselves. This is what a plumb line is. Now, not this exactly, but this is basically what it is. It was a lead weight at the end of a string or a rope that if you let it just hang free, once this stops, then this line is plumb. It's accurate. In fact, the gravity is making this straight. Now, who created gravity? God. God does everything perfect. He does everything perfect. So it is when there's a plumb line, it has to be perfect. This is what carpenters use to make sure everything else is done well. Perfect. So if you just, we call it here in, in Hawaii, yeah, just eyeball them. <laughs> hey, how's the corner? Yeah, just eyeball them. Yeah, it's good enough. Eyeball them. Just eyeball them. Yeah, just tap them, tap them. Okay, good. Hey, you're going to build your house like that? Just eyeball everything? No, you want, make, you want to make sure it's plumb. But that's what, that's what Amos is, is seeing. And he's seeing Zerubbabel with the plumb line, which Zerubbabel is now saying, we're going to match everything up to God. No longer to our own standard. And when Zerubbabel is holding the plumb line, this is a good thing. This is, this is God saying, we're going we're to redo this and we're going to make sure that everything is in line with what I'm asking of you. So when Amos sees this, a plumb line, God says, I'm going to set this plumb line in Israel. And I'm going to make sure that everything is perfectly true. And I will destroy all things according to this. Whatever is not true to this, whatever is not true to my standard, they're going to choose to go otherwise. See, I, I will use what is right to make my decision on what belongs and what doesn't according to the ways of god a a plumb line doesn't change or move with the feelings or opinions of the person using it if i'm a carpenter and i'm building with this and i'm using this as my plumb line i it doesn't matter how i feel at the moment i could be angry i could be frustrated i could be sad i could be joyful i could be happy I could be irritated with the boss but if I want this structure to be correct I'm going to have to use it I'm going to have to make sure that it's plumbed to this. I'm going to have to make sure it's straight according to this. Not how I feel but according to this. See to think about what is excellent comes back to being willing to think about lining up our thoughts to what is accurate according to the righteousness of God. Not our own feelings or emotions lest I be destroyed compared to the righteousness of God. You know what destroys us? It's not our actions or our sins. It's, It's when we don't correct back to what is accurate according to God's standard of what he says is right. If we correct back to everything else, then we destroy ourselves from the inside out. But we can all develop a great life of having or showing high moral standards by practicing how we think about what is, excellent, what is excellent. And we're going to look at these ways. Here's the first one, to align our thoughts. Align our thoughts with the Word of God. To align our thoughts with the Word of God. Here's, here's what is powerful about the Word of God. It never changes. What he said thousands of years ago, he is still saying today align our thoughts with the Word of God. How I think about my marriage needs to line up with the Word of God. How I think about my life, my abilities, my finances, my time, my energy, my heart for people, my children, people I meet, it has to line up with the Word of God. See, in our world today, not too many people align their thoughts with the Word of God. We just let our thoughts run wild. And for many, feelings and emotions have become what we align everything to. Now, I agree with not maliciously saying things to hurt people and putting people down and, and saying negative things towards others with our words or even with our actions. But when it's out of innocence or naivety, we're just, we're just you know, naive about it. We didn't know what we said or, or, or just pure innocence. And we apologize. We make things right. We can learn from those mistakes. We can do that. But if we're going to align everything trying not to hurt people's feelings, then who sets the standards of don't hurt people's feelings? Who's going to set that standard? Because it's going to constantly change as we continue to live on as the decades go by. Something needs to set the standard. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 17. It says, I will test you with the measuring line of justice and the plumb line of righteousness. Since, you re, since your refuge is is made of lies, a hailstorm will knock it down. Since it is made of deception, a flood will sweep it away. In other words, if there's anything else other than the righteousness of God, the plumb line, His Word, it's all going to be swept away, because there's there's nothing that's keeping it true. It has to be the Word of God, so we can align our thoughts with the Word of God. That means we have to be in the Word of God. I, I can't tell you how many people, uh, not just individuals, but marriages. Now, businesses, uh, people who have uh, great things going for them in life will come up to me and say, here's what I'm struggling with. A, B, C, D, why are things falling apart? And what I'll ask is, are you reading the Bible? I don't have time for the Bible. Then this, this is where you're at. This is the result of not aligning your thoughts with the Bible. It has to be in line with the Word of God. And we all think there's a shortcut. Like, okay, is there another way... Like, what if I don't read the Bible? Can I, can, I, can I be successful in life? No, you can be successful in the eyes of the world. But if you really want to be successful in life, we're going to have to align our thoughts with the word of God. That's the only way. Because his word never changes. He keeps us in line. So align our thoughts with the word of God. Here's the second thing. Align our perspective to the standard of Jesus. Just align your perspective with the standard of Jesus. Jesus has a standard. And it almost seems like, wow, Jesus, your standard is so high. I've heard it said, being a Christian is so difficult. It's so hard. It's so hard to follow Jesus. That's true because it's so easy to follow the ways of the world. That's, that's what makes it so difficult. It's just everything else is so easy. It takes no thought to do the things that are inconsistent with the ways of god we can just do whatever we want but then we reap the consequences if we want a a blessed life we're gonna have to do it god's way now that's where the bible says that road is very narrow it's a narrow path but wide is the road that leads to destruction so if the road is wide that leads to destruction it's not necessarily that well christianity is so hard it's just that everything else is just so easy So what God says is, okay, just change your perspective. Instead of looking at all the other things that is so easy to do, just keep your perspective to the standard of Jesus. Don't think of it as, this is so difficult to do. Just think of it as, I got to unlearn these things and learn what is new now. That's the new life in Christ. Old things have passed away, all things are new. Whenever you're learning something new, it takes time. I remember when I first learned to drive. Now, This was before I knew Jesus. So when I first learned to drive, I was not legal yet. So I was driving my grandpa's Jeep and just in the pastures. And there was no power steering. It was just stick to wheel. And you just had to turn it. Now I'm like seven years old sitting on my grandpa's lap. And I have to turn this thing. And we're in the pasture, you know, just going. And I'm trying to drive. In my mind, I'm thinking, how can it be so hard? Like, why is it so difficult? And then when I try to hang on to the steering wheel, it just moves by itself. I did not have the power nor the strength to hang on to the thing. And it was, it was like driving me. But then when I got older, I got my license, and then I learned how to drive. It was so much easier. Why? Because there, there needed to be learning along the way. There needed to be a growth process to take me to the place where now I understand what this does. This is a steering wheel. Now there's power steering. Times have changed. Technology has changed. Now it's a whole lot easier. But also my thought process changed. No longer was I a seven-year-old thinking, how do I do this? I was now a teenager saying, I know how to do this. My perspective changed from I can't to I know how, and I will, or I will learn. So our perspective to change from our own standard has to now change to the standard that Jesus has. And if our perspective becomes that standard, now it's not about how high that standard is. It's, wait a minute, Jesus, your standard has always been that standard. You're just bringing us to where we're supposed to be. We're not trying to reach this high mark where we cannot obtain. No, we're, we're, we're now living to where we're supposed to live, and you're going to give us the power and the strength to do so. Some of us, we're so loose in our thinking and even, even our perspective, and, and we're so so quick in our thoughts that we don't even know what's happening on the inside. And we all have some kind of standard. Everyone has some type of standard in the way we think, in the way we we view things and how we speak. But because our thinking is so loose, even our language is loose, even the words we speak to one another. Even though you love someone, you'll say hateful words. And then we regret it later. We'll say words one moment and then the next moment out of the same mouth we're saying I'm sorry. I should not have said that. Why? Because our thinking is so quick. Our perspective is now our own perspective rather than the standard of Jesus. I remember the first time I told Heidi sorry. You know how hard it was for a, for a, a, a man to say sorry? Because here was my thought. My thought was, wait, if I tell her sorry, that means she wins. If I say I'm sorry, she, she can do whatever she wants now. If I say I'm sorry, that means I'm less than, and now she has the power. I didn't want to give her the power, which she already had. So as a man, I don't even know why we're thinking that, like, oh, don't give the woman power. Too late, buddy. I had to think through, how am I going to learn how to say this? So it had to come out of the heart, which then I learned that when Jesus forgave me, he said, now with that same forgiveness I gave you, that's the one you want to do with other people. Unless it was on the inside, it would not come out on the outside. Unless my perspective changed, I would have stayed in the same place as a person, as a man of God, thinking that I'm growing in Christ because I'm coming to church. He says, no, no, your perspective has to change. It has to change to my standard. That's why Paul says, if, if there is any excellence. In other words, you're going to have to look for it And work on it. You have to work on excellence. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. This is Paul, and he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. In other words, what Paul is saying is, I want to give you some things to work on, not just for you. This is for God's pleasure. Like, this is your worship to God. This is how you're going to be pleasing to God, is to work out, work out your salvation, which means to accomplish, to achieve, to do that from which something results, or to continually work to bring something to completion or fruition. It's like a farmer who sows seeds, but he doesn't just leave it there, he sows seeds, and then gardens and then make sure the the soil is good takes out all the weeds fertilizes waters and then when the fruit trees come he prunes he takes care of the tree and then when it bears fruit he picks the fruit and he keeps doing the same thing or whatever type of fruit tree he's he's taking care of he's going to process it in what is best for the tree but he doesn't just plant seed and then leave it and so it is when it comes to working out our salvation there's there's something on our part We work on our salvation with fear and trembling. Fear not as as in being afraid, like we're going to fail, but fear as in the sense of respect and reverence. Trembling is an act of humility, and it's it's a response that we come in weakness to God. We're saying, God, I am weak, but where I am weak, that's where you're strong. Now, with fear and trembling, when Paul says fear and trembling, I ask myself, well, why why is it fear and trembling? Why couldn't it be something else, like something that sounds really good? Like, like, like work out your salvation with strength and dignity. But no, fear and trembling, it sounds horrible. Well, because it takes work to align our perspective that has been shaped by our culture, our family, the media, life experiences, even upbringing. Like it, it, it's going to take work to do that. Paul even says in Philippians 4, 3, the next chapter, he says, I don't don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Then he says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. In other words, there's a process that we're going through. We don't just arrive. He says, no, no, you're you're going through this, and the end of it is where Christ is calling you towards. That's the good news because we're heading towards Christ. He doesn't just give us instruction and then says, good luck. Hopefully you make it to the end. He says, I am the end. That's where you're going to be the best. You're going to meet me at the end. I'm there. I'm there with you all the way, and I'm calling you towards me. I am the finish line. I'm the one you're coming to. I'm the one who's going to bring life that no one else can bring to you. And what Jesus is saying is, I am the life you should be modeling your life after. That's why we head towards him. See, Jesus always aligned everything to his standard. Now notice in the the Ten Commandments when it says, thou shalt not kill. Jesus even referred to it. And he says, you have heard it say that thou shalt not murder. And then he says, but even if, you, even if you have anger in your heart towards someone else, even if you call them names, you've already committed murder in your heart. What Jesus didn't do is, is abolish the law and say, don't listen to that. He said, here's what the law is saying, but this is how you fulfill it. Because what the law actually did is come down to us so that we could understand. But Jesus said, no, we, we got to bring it back to where it was supposed to be. It all starts in the heart. And he also said, you've heard it say, do not commit adultery. But even if you look at another woman with lust in your eyes, you have already committed adultery. He's saying it will all start here. It will come into your mind. It will get deposited in your heart. That's where you can correct it. Once the action takes place, you're done. Correct it here, he says. Go back to my perspective, my standard. Even when he said, do not do these things, What Jesus was bringing was not just don't do these things, but rewind the tape before that. Don't wait for the action to say, oh, I blew it. He said, start here. Start with the way you think. Jesus was the plumb line. And every thought that Jesus had, he wanted us to have. That's why the Bible says put on the mind of Christ. And Jesus brought everything in alignment with his life. He modeled it for us. In Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, I'll, I'll read it to us. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Mark chapter 12, it's in the New Testament. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus is giving a parable, a story, an illustration. And, and he starts off in uh, verse 1. And he says, Jesus Jesus then began to speak to them in parables, and, and Jesus said, "A man planted a vineyard, He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the winepress, and built a watchtower." Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them, and they struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others, some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son, whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew... He has spoken the parable against them, but they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. So here you have the people who are listening, the religious leaders, they're listening to what Jesus is saying. And as he's giving this parable, they're like, wait a minute, I think he's talking about us. You think he's talking about us? He's talking about us. They're not, they're not even paying attention to the story. They're thinking of how do we get rid of this guy? How how can we not listen to what he's saying? Because what he's saying is true, but we don't want to we don't wanna follow that. In other words, Jesus gave them the plumb line and they refused to align themselves with him. They rejected it. They were the ones who say, Okay, I see what you're saying, but we don't we don't want to have anything to do with that. In fact, they got offended because they knew Jesus was talking about them. And so they figured out a way to put Jesus on the cross. See, it's easy for us to just live life to our own perspective, to our own standard. But we never move forward; we never succeed because we stay the same. That's what happened with these religious leaders. They they never succeeded. They just stayed the same. When we align our perspective to the standard of Christ, now we're moving somewhere. We're changing. We're becoming more like Jesus Christ. Therefore, as we do these things, actually, we, we will probably get discouraged along the way because it's 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 something new. It, it goes against every every bit of our fabric, our being, and the way we think. So here's the last thing if you want to write this in. Keep making small adjustments in your thinking. Just small adjustments. Very small adjustments. Because it's easy for our thoughts to go astray. And when it does, our emotions will soon follow. It's gonna follow. I remember when my son Jordan was born, he's 24, right, 24, he's 24 years old, but when he was born, he did not want to be with me, and I shared that before, I have no shame in that, he just didn't like me, he always wanted mommy, well, Heidi was working this one time, and my thoughts was, why is she taking so long, she finishes at seven, and it takes 13 minutes to go from the plaza to our house it's now 7.15, it's late, where is she? So my thoughts are going crazy like, oh, she's just kicking back at work. She just doesn't want to come home because she doesn't want to clean house she doesn't want to clean up with the dishes she't she not does not want to take care of the home she doesn't want to come home to a crying baby she doesn't want to take care of the baby she doesn't even like me anymore she doesn't even want to be around me okay she' like be okay she' like be like that okay so now I started to think okay when she comes home when she comes home yeah she's okay <laughs> if, she, if she wants to just hang out at work and just like clock out and say oh I'm just gonna hang out at work and then just I don't, I don't like go home because this is much better than being home okay wait till she gets home wait till she gets home she's gonna ask me to do something oh honey get something to eat I'm gonna be like, make your own food so I'm going through all of this in my mind, and by then it's maybe seven eighteen. <laughs> this is how men think. I think, or a lot of us. So I'm thinking of all these things, and then finally she comes home in a happy mood, in a great mood. Hi, honey, I'm home. I'm like, where you was? <laughs> what do you mean, where, where I was? I was at work. No, no, no but it's, it's like it's like seven twenty. I mean, yeah, I, I finished work and then I came home. Yeah, but where did you go? I came home. Yeah, but how long does it take you to go from the mall to our house? She's like, oh my goodness. I don't, I don't know how long it takes. I'm telling you how long it takes. It takes 13 minutes. It's now 7.20. What were you doing for seven minutes? Like, where were you? You get into this big fight because of the scenario that I put together in my mind that was just one time. This happened over and over and over. Even last night. No, nah, I'm just joking. Was, we're done with that. In my mind, right, that's how strong our minds are. We put together these things. We start thinking. And then we forget, wait a minute, I'm supposed to change. So you know when you, you, you're trying to change the way you're thinking? Let's just say you're, you're you're 10 clicks away from this is where God wants me to be. This is how I want to think. This is, this is the mind of Christ. This is where God wants me to be. Let's just say you're changing the way you're thinking, and you mess up. Let's just say you mess up. Don't give up. Stay on the one. Stay on the one and say, okay, I'm going to hang out on the one. God, you progressed me this much. So now I'm not as angry as I was. Now I'm not stewing for 45 minutes. It's now 44 minutes. So I'm going to celebrate the one minute less. So now I'm going to keep making small adjustments. And now I'm one minute less of of, of just getting angry and, and my blood boiling and putting together these scenarios. I'm like, yes, Lord, I'm succeeding more than I was yesterday. And then the next time it happens, okay, wait, 43 minutes now. And then you keep making those small adjustments, keep making the small adjustments in our thinking. After a while, you're not keeping count on how much minutes you're stewing You're now looking on the positive and saying, Lord, how can I be more encouraging? Give me one minute to be an encouraging person. Give me two minutes to breathe life into my family. Give me three minutes to be with my family. Give me four minutes to be with my children, my loved ones. Give me five minutes to talk and listen to my wife. Give me five minutes to just listen. Give me six minutes, seven minutes. And and the more we go on that side, we don't have to worry about the back, our past, or the, the, the things that set us back. Now we can focus on the things that God wanted us to become. And it starts with adjusting our thinking in the small ways. It's not just going to change and happen. Oh, we wish that would happen. I mean, we've seen that before. Honey, I'm going to change. I'm going to change, honey. Really, I'm going to change. Next day, wow, you're a different person. That afternoon, everything blows up. I thought you was going to change. I cannot change. I cannot just change all of a sudden. Like it's worse. We think we can just change. But if we're going to do something different, we've got to replace it with something positive. If I'm saying, Lord, I'm, not, I'm no longer going to stew in my anger then i'm going to have to be kind like i got to replace it with something else i can't just say i'm going to stop doing this i got to start doing this otherwise i'm just empty on the inside and i'm going to revert back to my old ways the small adjustments that's where it counts it's a small little things you know when the israelites were rebuilding the temple and in the beginning i was talking about zerubbabel and and when they were rebuilding the temple after they, after they came back from being exiled in Babylon. It, it took them time, and it, it, it seemed almost impossible because of the work that was required. In Zechariah 4, verse 10, the Lord says this, Do not despise these small beginnings. Do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin catch that the lord doesn't just rejoice when we're being completed he rejoices when we begin that's what he rejoices at he rejoices to see the work begin to see the plumb line in zerubbabel's hand in other words when they were rebuilding the temple nothing was rebuilt yet all zerubbabel did was do this he just held the plumb line and he says guys this, th- we're going to have to build but we're going to build according to this plumb line so let's start construction. The Lord rejoices. Did they lay one stone yet? Nope. Did they do any work yet? Nope. All he did was begin. That's all he did. He just held the plumb line and the work could begin. Listen very carefully. The work can never begin without a plumb line. And Jesus is the plumb line. We cannot begin to think that we can think thoughts of excellence unless we're connected to Christ. God is the master builder. I, 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 I don't think it's by accident, mistake, or just by chance that Jesus, when he walked on this earth, was an actual carpenter. Being the son of God, having the father's DNA, I'm sure as he was growing up, he's just started building things. It was just in his DNA. I'm going to be like my father. I'm going to build. I'm going to do things I'm going to create. He was a carpenter. He knows exactly what a plumb line is. His life is the plumb line. There's no one who is righteous like Christ. There's no one who did everything precisely like Jesus did. There's no one who died for our sins how Jesus did. There's no one who comes close to Jesus. So much so that he's the only person who walked on water. Talk about perfection. I used to think, yeah, but Jesus, did you fly? He ascended into heaven. The disciples saw him go up. (laughs) Case closed. He's perfect in everything that he does. So tell me he cannot work perfection in us. Will we ever be perfect? Not until we see Jesus. But he's going to perfect some things in us. Zerubbabel's temple, as they were building the temple, may not have been as wonderful and as beautiful as the first temple that Solomon built, David, King David's son. Unbelievable temple. Everything looked great, extravagant. But that temple was destroyed, and now they got to rebuild. Zerubbabel didn't have the resources that Solomon had. He didn't have the expertise that Solomon had, or all of the, the fine artisans or those who would, who would put everything together. He didn't have all of that. So when they looked at the temple, they're like, this is not like the former temple. This is This is worse. This doesn't look good. But the temple that Zerubbabel built brought glory to God. God was pleased. God rejoiced just to see the work begin. And Zerubbabel's temple may not have been as significant and magnificent as Solomon's, but it had greater glory in this way. This temple that Zerubbabel built was the temple that Jesus himself stepped on with his bare feet. What made Zerubbabel's temple glorious wasn't the stones, it wasn't how well it was built, it was the fact that Jesus stepped foot on the very stones that they built hundreds of years before Jesus came to the earth. Jesus can take our broken down temple He can take our broken down life. Even the dreams that we may have had. And as we rebuild, just to begin, the glory of the Lord will be seen when Jesus steps foot into our lives. Let him do that. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and I'm going to call up Glenn to the keyboard. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded He's beside God's throne with honor. Here's here's what I want us to leave with. When we're developing this mind or the thoughts of excellence, we will fail. We will have some setbacks, but we get better at it. Correct the small things, just little adjustments along the way, small adjustments. And as we make these small adjustments, keep our eyes on Jesus. Jesus. No matter what, keep our eyes on Jesus. Because when our eyes are on Jesus, we can always adjust back to the plumb line. We're not going to adjust back to what he said, what she said, what is happening around us. We're going to adjust back to Jesus Christ. That's the plumb line. I'm so thankful that he's the one that we are able to measure our life against. And whenever we're going astray, we can always come back to Jesus and say, Jesus, can you realign my thinking can you help me to, to capture my thoughts and help me to get better at what I'm doing? Because Jesus is the only one who is consistent in our lives, even when we're inconsistent. He's at the finish line, calling us to himself. Go run towards him. Amen. Let's bow our heads and, and pray for a little while. Just kind of capture our thoughts and let Jesus do something that he wants to do. Lord, you've given us a, a standard, of, standard of living. And sometimes it seems unreachable because we live in a world that we kind of do whatever we want. We, we hear words like freedom and grace and forgiveness. And so we, we kind of live under that, forgetting that you've also given us a, a bold spirit, a sound mind, a spirit that is powerful. And we try every day to get better, but it, it, really, it really is our thinking that in order for us to think about what is excellent, we're going to have to know what is that, what is truly right. And you're accurate. So can you help our thoughts to align with your word, align our perspective, to your standard, not our standard, not our culture or how we grew up. Oh, we respect our parents. We respect our elders. But it comes under the umbrella of your your standard. And help us as, as we mature and as we grow in you to not despise small beginnings, even the subtle changes, the small things that we change, the little adjustments that take place that even the small adjustments, when made according to your ways, we can celebrate. So help us to make those adjustments in our thinking, our thoughts, and how we respond to people. And it's one moment at a time. So thank you for showing us that as we fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, you're the one that's going to complete us. And you're the one who's going to help us to look for what is excellent and dwell on these things. It's in your name that we pray, Lord, and we all say, we say together, Amen. Amen. Amen.